0: Kashmir is in the news again. Well, Kashmir is always in the news, and 9 times out of 10 for unpleasant reasons. Some time back, there was a terrible suicide attack on a CRPF convoy by a Kashmiri terrorist belonging to the Pakistan-based terror outfit, jaish e This little detail is significant. You see, the plan may well have been hatched in Pakistan, but it was executed by a person from Kashmir, a citizen of India, presumably with voting rights. Now, this is not a done-to-death primer on the political history of Kashmir. Rather, I am interested in exploring why a citizen of India would wage war against the Indian state. Let us consider some of the most common explanations given by media persons and politicians. One, unemployment. They say high unemployment in the valley caused the youth to take up arms against the Indian state. But what about people in other states with comparable unemployment rates like Uttar Pradesh, Himachal Pradesh, and Sikkim? How come we don't hear about insurgency in these states? Second, stepmotherly treatment by India. Let us look at some numbers. In terms of funds, JNK, which accounts for just 1% of India's population, has received 10% of all central grants given to states from the year 2000 to 2016. To put that in perspective, Uttar Pradesh, which makes up about 15% of India's population, received only 8.2% of the central grants. Now tell me who's getting treated badly? Third, rigging of elections in 1987. If we grant for a moment that the 1987 state elections were totally rigged by the central government of the day, and that led to the growth of anti-India sentiment in the valley, what explains the riots in Anantnag in 1986, which led to the mass departure of Kashmiri Hindus from the district? Some more context to the violence. A hugely popular Islamic cleric back in the day, by the name of Kazi Nisar, had given a call for liberation by slaughtering a cow in the middle of the busiest block of the town of Anantnag. The fourth excuse, atrocities by security forces. This one has to be the most fallacious excuse for terrorism ever invented. The stark fact is that the heavy deployment of Indian security forces in the valley was necessitated by the rampant terrorism of the late 80s and early 90s, not the other way around. So if none of these explanations is good enough, what is it that drives the average Kashmiri Muslim like Adel Dar or Burhan Wani, to militate against the Indian state? Unfortunately, there is no answer to be found because the problem has been framed erroneously. Let us begin with deconstructing the statements of the terrorist himself. The latest terrorist that is. How does the terrorist identify himself? He calls himself a warrior of Islam. Second. What is the mission he declares allegiance with? Jashe Muhammad's mission is to liberate Kashmir from Indian occupation, which they believe will open the floodgates for Islam's conquest of the rest of India. Third, how does the terrorist address his enemy? He calls them Hindustan ke napak Mushrik, India's impure infidels. Let us now try to reframe the original question we asked by borrowing the words from the terrorist's statement rather than what goes around as received wisdom. This is how it will sound. What is it that drives an average Kashmiri Muslim like Adil Dar or Burhan Wani to militate against India's impure infidels and cow drinkers? Some may ask, why use the terrorist's words? Why give legis- legitimacy to his bigoted views? The short answer is that we don't get to decide how a terrorist ought to think. In other words, We cannot understand the nature of this one-sided aggression by refusing to acknowledge the motivations of the aggressor. The order of the problem is higher than political. It is a civilizational conflict, and it refuses to be solved by political process that deliberately ignores the civilizational context. For the lack of a better word, the exodus of half a million Hindus from the valley in 1990 bears testimony to this fact. No amount of sugarcoating can obfuscate the truth that this was the seventh Exodus in the long history of Islam's conquest of the valley. Let us be clear that the abrogation of the articles 35A and 370 is not a magic wand that will solve the problem overnight. It is just the first step, which will have to be followed up by a concerted effort by the government to alter the demographic composition of the valley. We need to send Indians from other parts of the country to settle in the valley so that the virus of religious extremism is neutralized. They know what the removal of these articles implies, which is why they beat their chests at the mere mention of it. Secondly, the unhealthy pampering of the Kashmiri for the last seven decades has rendered Ladakh and Jammu, the other two provinces of the state, as mere colonies of the valley. In all these years, there has not been a single chief minister from Jammu or Ladakh, and the people from these regions have suffered immensely for no fault of theirs. It makes complete sense to liberate these regions from the tyranny of the Kashmiri extremism and empower the citizens of Jammu and Ladakh by granting them separate statehood, not to mention acting on the long-standing demand of Kashmiri Hindus to carve out a union territory for them with the full flow of Indian constitution. There is much more to be said, but let me end here by throwing it back to you. Why should the CRP of Jawan pay the price of the cowardice of the media and the political establishment? When will the Indian society overcome its inertia and truly stand with its soldiers instead of carrying out fake candle marches? How many more brave soldiers must die before people gather the courage to acknowledge the inconvenient truth? If you like our content, please support Upward and donate generously. Thank you.